A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, a.k.a. problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Your iTunes reviews help Pantsuit Politics move up the rankings, which spreads our love of nuance far and wide. Plus, being called the Oprahs of Nuance made my life. So please take a few minutes and leave a review by searching Pantsuit Politics in the podcast app and clicking the Reviews tab. Today, we swap seats with our friends at the Politics Guys. But first, we have to cover a little feedback and a lot of news. This is Sarah. I'm a liberal. And Beth. I'm a conservative. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Welcome to another episode. We have an exciting episode today. We're doing a host swap this week with our friends at The Politics Guys. Like us, their podcast features one liberal and one conservative having an actual conversation instead of a shouting match. I had a great time talking to Mike, which you can hear on The Politics Guys. And today, Jay, the conservative host of The Politics Guys, sits down for a chat with Sarah. But first, Sarah, we have a lot of things to talk about. First, we must persist in our coverage of the news. <laughs> I think we know where this is going. Well, should we start there or do you want to start with Yemen? Let's start there. Okay. 
So, Mitch McConnell and Elizabeth Warren, excuse me, Senator Mitch McConnell and Senator Elizabeth Warren, they had a, they had a little tiff, a little tiff. So Jeff Sessions' confirmation is expected to happen on Wednesday evening, which is when we are recording. So we expect that to occur at any point now. But of course, Democrats have been vigorous in their opposition to Sessions. Uh, Senator Warren wanted to make a forceful opposition on the floor. And in doing so, in the course of a very long speech, she read statements from Senator Ted Kennedy that were part of the record from Sessions' time as the Alabama Attorney General, I think I'm getting this correct, and then a letter from Coretta Scott King about Senator Sessions' uh, suppression of voting rights for black Americans in Alabama. And at that point, Senator McConnell objected under a, a rule from the early 1900s that says senators may not impugn the character of one another. This rule was apparently enacted because of um, the tendency for senators to want to punch one another, I heard today. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the, we should go back the to that. president of this. Yeah. The president of the Senate uh, heard the objection and said that Senator Warren would take her seat. And she was then voted um, as rebuked by the Senate on party lines and was not allowed to speak for the rest of the hearing. Take it away, Sarah. Well, uh, so there's a couple (laughs) things. One, I mean... I'm intrigued by what standard with which they are enforcing this rule, which has not been in play for decades since Ted Cruz called Mitch McConnell a liar on the floor of the Senate and suffered no consequences for it. They, it, I know you said on Twitter that you thought it was political theater. I tend to disagree just because I think it was a rare strategic misstep for Mitch McConnell. I think that things are getting tense over there in the upper chamber. And this, it's sort of, um, bubbled over the top, as the case may be. So she, they voted her down, and then he commented, and he said she was warned. I think I believe he said she was warned. She was informed. Nevertheless, she persisted, which is just as I like. I loved. I read an article today that called it the weaponized meme, and I think that's true. Like it just now, it's everywhere. You know, Hillary tweeted, she, and so shall we. We will all persist. Like it's just been. You know, he raised millions of dollars for her. He gave her a megaphone, and he's not. You know, he's. I don't like Mitch McConnell, but he's most, for the most part, smarter than that. And um, so I was very surprised. I, I think that it became, you know, uh, like a, a the acrimony in the chamber sort of bubbled over the top. I don't think it was like, ha, 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 we'll just, you know, we're just all playing our roles here. I think they're pissed. I think they're legitimately pissed at each other. I think they stay legitimately pissed at each other, but I still think it was theater. I mean, I think the fact that you had all of the Democratic senators today reading from the same letter without the rule being invoked shows that Mitch McConnell 
likes Elizabeth Warren as his foil. Mm. I mean, this to me feels just like Donald Trump using the media as the opposition party. Elizabeth Warren is a great punching bag for Republicans, right? And Elizabeth Warren is having the best day ever because of this. And it just all feels like the WWE in the Senate chamber to me. I think it's exhausting. I think it moves zero votes on the actual confirmation fight. And everybody knows it's not about that anyway. And I just kind of wish everybody would grow up. I pictured Steve Bannon, like, in a recliner eating popcorn watching this. This feels exactly like the Trump administration successfully turning our government into a reality show. I mean, I think that there's something to be said about that. The other thing that I think is interesting, and my friend actually was talking about um, an exchange she had. This is my friend Erin, who um, is a former sorority sister of ours, and she um, informed another minister that she felt like his defense of Jeff Sessions was sort of an exercise in wife privilege and was very polite about it. And he like unfriended her. And she said, we have a problem when calling someone a racist is more insulting than being a racist. Um, And I feel like that it sort of illustrates this too. The idea that like reading a letter, reading a letter in which someone is called a racist. And I don't know if this is like sort of frustration and they just feel like, I honestly think a lot of this is when Jeff Sessions was not a senator and they weren't protecting their own, and I don't mean Republicans, I mean senators generally, um, and they could say he has all these racial problems, he shouldn't be confirmed. I think it was a judge he was up for, right? Um, and then, and now there's just some sort of, they it's become this, you know, how dare you attack the character of a fellow senator situation, which I think is unfortunate, Um but if they're trying to protect the institutional um, identity or value of the Senate chambers, I'm not really sure this is the way to go about it. But they're not, right? They're just not. I think that what you see playing out is very much Trump orchestrated. Don't you think he loves this? Like, the Democrats are digging in hard on his nominees. You know that he won't stand for it if the Republicans don't fight back hard in defense of his nominees. I mean, you see how personally he takes all of this. And God knows what's going on in the White House while we're all paying attention to this. It just feels like shiny objects to distract from more important things. And it's not that I don't think the confirmation of Jeff Sessions is significant and problematic and important. If I were in the Senate, I would vote against the confirmation of Jeff Sessions, mostly because I think the Justice Department is going to be one of the most important agencies under the the White House as far as a check on executive power. I also think at this moment in our nation's history, with all of the tension around policing, we need more of a consensus pick as the attorney general. We need to restore some confidence in that institution. So I'm not at all defending Jeff Sessions here. I'm also not defending what the Republicans did because it was stupid. They should not have done this. It it plays poorly, but I also think they intended to do this. I, I think they don't care that it plays poorly. It's playing to the base just like Elizabeth Warren going away and reading her statement in full and getting 4 million Facebook views immediately plays to her base. And that's the thing for me. We all say we don't like the status quo, but then we just play right into the status quo. That's true. I mean, I think that, I I mean, I don't know. I don't know what they should have done or she should have done. I don't know if they knew this was coming, you know, 
it I doubt it. It doesn't seem like this was super orchestrated beforehand. So I'm not really sure what, what chance she had, but to, you know, respond in any other way. I think that it is, I think it's reflective of, I don't know if it's, you know, necessarily planned by the Trump administration, but I do think it is reflective of, you know, not even just the media approach, but just the acrimony. Yeah, just double down on everything. No holds barred. I will say one thing about the nevertheless, she persisted. It reminds me of um, this line from a William Faulkner short story. Did you ever read the short story that has the character Calpurnia in it? I can't remember what story it was. Yeah, it's ringing a bell. But there's a line in it. There's just a sentence that says Calpurnia endures. And I have been obsessed with that sentence since I read this as like a sophomore in high school. I think about it all the time. Whenever I feel like I cannot go on, I think Calpurnia endures. (laughs) And I feel like this has that rhetorical kind of ring to it, which is, you know, too bad for Senator McConnell. Yeah, he was very well phrased. I mean, somebody was like, it's almost an iambic pentameter. Like, it's just so perfectly phrased to put it um, for distribution, really. Which, again, makes me think that it was not spontaneous. He's a poetic guy. You never know. Well, I I really do want to talk about Yemen because I think this is more important and consequential in the long term. Um, As everyone knows by now, we lost a Navy SEAL in a raid in Yemen. And there's a lot going on on social media about the raid as botched or lacking coordination, strategic thought, planning. A number of civilians were allegedly killed during the raid. And I use allegedly only because I've seen conflicting reports and I don't want to say anything that's incorrect. But the government of Yemen has now said that we cannot conduct special operations on the ground there, which is fairly significant. And I thought it might be worth just like a minute on what is going on in Yemen If that's okay with you, Sarah. Yeah, please. So there are two things that I think people should know about Yemen right now. Yemen is in the midst of a civil war between two groups, the central government and the Houthis. So the Houthis are a Shia group. The central government is a Sunni group. The Houthis are backed by Iran And the central government is backed by Saudi Arabia. And so this, like a number of conflicts in the Middle East, is a combination of religious tension, of uh, territorial, regional, ethnic issues. I mean, it's it's complicated, made further complicated by other countries in the region getting involved. The United States initially got involved to provide logistical support to Saudi Arabia because we are – Um, most of the time, an ally of Saudi Arabia. I think frenemies might be a good way to describe Mm -hmm. that relationship. But that's how we came in. Under the Obama administration, our involvement escalated, and we've been dropping bombs in Yemen since October of last year. So for all practical purposes, we are at war in Yemen, and we don't talk about it. It's really significant that we're aiding Saudi Arabia because Saudi Arabia has relentlessly uh, cut off access to food and other critical supplies. There are civilians in Yemen who are literally starving to death. So there are serious human rights concerns going on in that country. So that's one thing that's happening. Thing number two that's happening, Yemen is a hotbed because of all this destabilization for ISIS and a group called Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula. 
Peninsula, which you'll see abbreviated sometimes as like AQAP. And so that's why we were on an intelligence gathering mission in Yemen. Uh, The Trump administration says that we were not trying to target any terrorist figures. There is a terrorist in Yemen who claims that we were and is kind of trying to taunt the Trump administration now. But they say this was just an intelligence gathering raid that our Navy SEALs went in and took computer hard drives. Sean Spicer has been adamant that it was successful. We got whatever we were going in for, but it was at the expense of life. So that's sort of a quick and necessarily oversimplified view of what's happening there. And I think what's made more headlines in our country, unfortunately, is that Sean Spicer, in defending this raid, has been very adamant about how dangerous the world is in language that we just don't typically hear from the White House. Um, yes, I, the idea that with regards to the um, language coming from the White House, and I don't know if this is just, you know, the media channels I read and the way I take in the way he thinks he says, but it's so naked at this point. Like, how can anybody see what he says and not see it being built up as like a, I don't know. Does that make sense? Well, it does. I think that there's a balance to be had here. I wish that the White House, they're not wrong to stress that these intelligence operations are important. In some ways, I think we all should pay more attention to what we are asking our service members to do in the Middle East, because it is a lot more than we recognize. It is it is a real shame that we have people fighting a civil war in Yemen, and we don't think about that every day. You know, so I wish that they could adopt a more steady tone. And I know that that's just like not the Trump administration's thing. But if Sean Spicer said look, this was a successful mission. I obviously cannot talk about the intelligence that we gathered. We are devastated that we lost American life. We are concerned about any other casualties, and we're investigating that. And understand that we can't come to the microphone every day and tell you what our men and women in uniform are doing, but they are working very hard at significant risk to keep us safe. Like, I think that would be an approach that I would personally feel better about. Well, they're not going to do that. That's first and foremost, as you said. And I think that with regards to the Yemen raid in particular, any even if they started to pivot now, the way they first approached this by being, well, it was the Obama administration and the Obama administration saying, it most certainly was not. Like, we did not okay this raid. Like, it undercut their credibility from the beginning in any discussion about this. And, you know, I heard an expert, a military expert on NPR say, they said basically was, is this the sort of thing that just, this is what can go wrong at any point in these sorts of raids? And they said, no, there's more than that. And it, you know, that it was that it was not, you know, an appropriate time to say yes to this type of raid, no matter how scary the situation in Yemen is and no matter how much we want to gather intelligence regarding the situation in Yemen. And, you know, it's not hard to imagine that Donald Trump was sort of ready to exert some military might and was quick to say yes on the first thing presented to him. At least it's not hard for me to imagine that. And 
this, you know, in combination with it being maybe not the best um, scenario to begin with and that everything on later on top of it went wrong and there seems to have been civilian loss of life. It's just, it's a mess. And now it's going to complicate any other um, narratives coming out of Yemen or in regards to Yemen and most certainly any action in the country. I, I don't know enough to, I, you know, I've kind of said what I know about this, so I can't intelligently comment on how well this was done militarily, right? And I think there's more to come out about that. I do think there are questions. It's weird to me that he was quick on the draw on something like this because I feel like during the campaign, so much of what we heard from Trump was that we aren't going to fight wars that aren't that aren't our own. So mm. I, I'm having trouble kind of reconciling some of what I heard as a more isolationist bent with this, the world right. is scary and dark and dangerous and we're going to keep you safe. And and I right. think there's just a lot to shake out there. Well, should we do a little bit of feedback before we play your conversation with Jay? Yeah. We heard from Kiara. I just thought this was a really beautiful point. She was referencing our conversation in the heels. And it turns out that most people did not know what Burgoo is, according to our Twitter poll um, before the heels. But <laughs> she was referencing our discussion about uh, our listeners relative who said that he doesn't think all people were created equal. And she said, you know, I don't think so either because we all have different needs. And she gave some really beautiful illustrations of that and then said, I would argue that the principle that our country was founded on was that everyone should be treated equally. Even though we're not all equal, we deserve certain basic rights. We deserve to have our needs met, even though they are different. I think that should be the starting point for our conversations about American government. Not that everyone is equal, but that everyone should be treated equally under the law. Well, there's. it reminds me of this really great analogy that I'm probably going to screw up that Kristen uh, Soltis Anderson used way on the way way back when she was on our show and i remember in her book and it was really great the the selfie generation is that the name of the book uh the selfie vote the selfie vote and she talks about do you remember this part where she says you know it seems like the 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 debate that particularly sort of democrats and republicans that republicans are saying everybody doesn't deserve to cross the finish line at the same time and democrats are saying yes but nobody we're not saying they do, but we're also saying like nobody's starting at the same point either. And right. so we're sort of talking past each other on what equality means and what being treated fairly means. Um, you know, I think that our country, well, with huge, glaring, problematic exceptions, like the three-fifth compromise, was founded on the idea that, and you know, that these, that we were all, um, all of us white property-owning men, we're in, you know, given by God these these rights, and we were seen as equal, sort of under this philosophy. Now, again, it was just white property only then, so that's problematic. Um, but we we're working on it, and we're still working on it. But I do think that's a great, you know, I think that's sort of what she's getting at is that analogy that we're not talking about all being ending up in the same place. We just want some acknowledgement that we're not all starting at the same place either. We also heard from Jessica, who was talking about our conversation about how 
I fear radicalization within the United States more than entry from other countries for terrorist acts. And she said that it's really insulting to Muslims to suggest that any kind of action by the United States that's disrespectful to Muslims leads to radicalization. She said, you know, we, we wouldn't make that argument about Christians. If if something mean was happening to Christians, we wouldn't say, oh, now all Christians are at risk of blowing things up. And she, you know, she just said that, that it's, that it's kind of rude to think that way. And I thought that was an interesting point and I had never looked at it that way. Well, we, and we try not to say that we don't ever, you know, we're, we're strong, on record opponents of the idea of like the only reason we should treat Muslims fairly is because they're useful to us in the right, intelligence exactly. community. And so, but I think that I don't think the argument is that Muslims being discriminated against leads to radicalization. I think that that is a simplification of the argument. The argument that intelligence experts in the intelligence community make is that ISIS has a, and other, um, extremist groups have an argument that is premised on the West being an enemy of um, their groups and other extreme religious groups. And so by acting in a way that's not just being mean to Muslim, but is like a systematic um, mistreatment or discrimination of that group based on their religion, you are adding fuel to those sort of arguments so I don't think the argument is it will remain to Muslims and they'll become radicalized. I think that it's it's a little more nuanced than that. So the last thing I wanted to highlight today is that Natalie asked us to talk a little bit about more about what clerking means. Um, and as I listened to our interview with uh, Jason Murray, who clerked for Judge Gorsuch, I realized there was kind of a lot of lawyer speak in it. <laughs> and so just um, to take a step back, you know, the way that judges at the appellate level decide a, a case is to do a ton of reading. They read briefs that the parties file, so written documents outlining their positions. They And then within those briefs, what lawyers really exist to do is to take a set of facts and find instances before them where someone took similar facts and got the result they wanted. So all of our body of law is based on legal precedent, which is embodied in written judicial opinions. So those briefs that each side files in an appellate case say, hey, the first judge heard our facts and made this decision. That decision is either right or wrong because look at all these other cases so similar to ours that stand for the proposition that we win. And so it's just a ton of reading because you have to read those briefs. You have to read um, any kind of evidence that is put into the appellate record. And then you have to read all those cases and probably do your own research and find other cases and figure out whether you think they're um, reasonably relying on precedent or not. And so clerks for appellate judges do all that reading and do their own research often and help judges look at the text of statutes that are involved. Sometimes they look at legislative history, you know, records of how those laws were enacted. What did the legislature really mean? Judge Gorsuch is fairly skeptical of using legislative history in that way, but some judges rely on it heavily. So that's what a clerk does. They go through all of that stuff and pull out things that are really important, and then they help the judges 
um, write those opinions. And some judges will have multiple clerks take different angles, right, and sort of take different positions so they can all battle it out among themselves. But Sarah, am I leaving anything important out in that explanation? No. Did you ever clerk? I did not clerk. I considered it and just decided that I it would be another year of my life in sort of purgatory, like where am I going to live eventually? What am I going to do? So uh, I just went right to the law firm out of law school. I would have loved to clerk. I didn't. But I think it's... Um... It's a, you know, I've never had a friend regret clerking, let's put it that way. The funniest text message I got is from my friend Leslie, one of my best friends from law school and a regular listener and supporter of Pantsuit Politics. And she said she really enjoyed the episode. And she said, I listened to it and I thought, oh, the law is so interesting. I should go to law school. Wait, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the best. Yeah, it's like the best sort of, clerking is sort of like, all the best parts of law school wrapped up, but like you get paid and things actually happen. I feel like it's a really, I think it's a really great experience. And um, like I said, I've never had a friend regret doing it because it's, it's just like you said, it's like the pure law. It's just, if there's no uh, messy clients or anything else uninteresting, it's just, let's, let's dig in. Let's dig into the law. Think deep thoughts. I wish I had done it in hindsight. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and June has you covered. We've talked about Olive and June's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box. Salon grade tools. Your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are going to last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love, though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsu for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. 
They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. Well, Sarah, I can't wait to hear your conversation with Jay of the Politics Guys. So we'll uh, tune in for that now. with Jay Carson from the Politics Guys podcast, and you guys are pretty much like the male pantsy politics, right, Jay? I, I guess we are. It's We just sort of found each other uh, not too long ago, and, and this is this is very cool. We're doing our first, uh, you know, major crossover um, uh, special event uh, programming here. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I am a... Uh, um, uh, uh, well, gosh, I'm, a, I'm an attorney. Uh, I live in Cleveland. Um, I am a, uh, you know, I don't know whether you call me a conservative Republican, moderate Republican. It's it's tough to tell these days. Um, but, uh, you know, Mike uh, Baranowski is uh, sort of the liberal on our show. Uh, it was sort of funny. He started as a, he used to be to the right of me uh, back in school. And we've known each other about <laughs> 30, about 20 years. Yeah, he was. He was actually, he interned for the Heritage Foundation. Oh, wow. Um uh, he had a. Uh, he was very excited. I remember one of the first times I met him in 1989. He had a uh, autographed picture from this uh, obscure congressman from Georgia named Newt Gingrich, uh, who I'd, <laughs> never, I'd never, I'd never heard of at the time. But I was trying to be cool. And, you really and are the male pantsy politics. Cause I started out super yeah. conservative as well. Okay. okay. I was like an evangelical Christian in in high school and was like very conservative. Okay. Well, I, you know, so I, you know, I take this and, and the way Mike and I do our show, and I think it's similar to the way uh, you guys do your show, is we tried to, to create something where people could actually talk about the news, talk about issues uh, without without it being a yelling match. And, you know, more have a conversation rather than have an argument. Mm hmm. Uh, and that's that's really what we strive for. And I, I don't know, we don't always achieve it. And, uh, you know, we want to try to have some depth, too. And I guess our our vision was sort of uh, firing line meets car talk. You know what <laughs> I mean? Sort of, sort of like that. So. so where did you come to the Republican Party and where do you feel like you are are situated inside it at this current political moment? Like last week, Beth, um, after the immigration ban, became uncomfortable with saying – but we used to say Sarah from the left and Beth from the right. And now she's even uncomfortable with that. So we've changed it to I'm a progressive or I'm a liberal and Beth is a conservative because she just felt so uncomfortable within that. The current the current um, formulation, I guess. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I guess I've, I've been a I, I'm sort of the same way. I'm sort of a I would say conservative first and, and Republican second. Uh, you know, I have a certain set of principles and that that leads me or traditionally has led me to, to be in the, the Republican Party. Um, 
it's been a weird year though. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, you know, I guess I, I was always sort of I grew up in uh, Youngstown, Ohio, which was a very, um, uh, uh, steel town, blue collar, uh, strongly Democrat, uh, place, but also had a big populist streak. Uh, mm. Youngstown elected uh, James Traffickens. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's an absolute madman. He was nuts. I was, he, talking he was very, about that guy the other day. He was very, a very Trumpian sort of character in a lot of ways. He had the crazy hair and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And he was, all, he was a complete crook. And dude, um, didn't he win re-election from jail at one point? Uh, no. Well, he won, he won re-election uh, while, in, while under indictment. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, he he was, you know, he sort of became this folk hero and, and uh, he completely corrupt. So anyway, I, I was always just sort of a contrarian, I guess, uh, out of that uh, that world. Um, so, um, you know, I gravitated sort of to to what I saw. I was very much the anti-trafficant uh, sort of uh, Republican uh, Party. And, and um, you know, that's where I stayed. And I was uh, certainly comfortable with um uh, president Reagan and uh, first president Bush. And, um, you know, this, this year is, has been, uh, has been a weird one. And it started because, you know, two things on, on the Trump issues. Um, and I, and I should say, so this is kind of funny. We get all kinds of mail. I've gotten all kinds of angry mail the last couple of weeks, particularly, um, that, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much a show for Trump and I'm, I'm in the, the bag for Trump, even though I spent the last year or so, you know, complaining about him. Um, you know, two two issues. One I, is is just the character and the uh, personality and the persona, and and just the, the lack of of dignity that that uh, he brings to the office. Um, you know, so that was troubling enough. Uh, but there's also just policy. He's he's not he's not uh, a conservative Republican in the sense that uh, I, I don't get the sense, uh, at least not yet. That he is committed to smaller government, less taxes. I mean, he's he's doing role. He's, you know, and again, he's he's doing some things that, again, your typical, I don't know, I should say, conventional Republicans, uh, you know, would approve of things uh, like proposing a, um, you know, rolling back regulations and so forth, and um, uh, moving, uh, uh, you know, tax reform and 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 so forth, and a federal hiring ban and those kind of things. Um, but then he's also done this other stuff that. That you know the more populist uh, piece of it that that a lot of conventional Republicans find troubling, um, you know. On, on for example, immigration. I mean, I've, I I think I'd fall in the, the camp of um, immigration. Immigrants have have, have brought uh, so much to this country. I'm the grandson of of immigrants, uh, and and you know know lots of other folks who were in that similar first second generation, and. Um, the the idea that uh, uh, he would do these blanket orders. Now again, it's not to say that there isn't there aren't issues to be addressed uh, about who we bring in, how we vet them, and uh, and what our our immigration policy is going to be. Um, but I think just the 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 blunt instrument sort of way that he's gone about it has has been has been really troubling. So yeah. Def- well, what are your what are your listeners so mad about? Why do they think? What what were you? <clears throat> You know, I'm, I'm not even sure. I mean, I think a lot of it, some of it had to do with uh, cabinet picks. And uh, I mean, I might took a lot of like, of, oh, let's wait and see kind of attitude. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm still a little befuddled. I mean, but uh, I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, I guess, you know, because and, you know, you and I, I think emailed about this, you know, when we were talking about topics for the show. 
uh, that it, it makes it difficult. You know, in a typical week, there's, you know, one or two stories that you can sort of focus on and say, here's what we're going to talk about and here's what's going on. Um, but, but this has been sort of drinking from the fire hose. Yeah. Uh, and, and that there's, there's something new every day, uh, you know, a couple times a day. Well, his Twitter um, stream could keep you busy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely, and and there was more more tweets just this this morning. Oh, about the uh, judge. What's he? Yeah, doing, and, and I gotta tell you, I, I, that that troubles me a great deal. Um, uh, I'm I'm a lawyer, uh, and I've I've clerked for the federal courts, and that's I mean that's that's something you <clears throat> and to, if people hadn't heard, I mean Trump is called the the so-called judge in. Oh. Um, in, in Washington, and and no, he he is an actual judge. I mean, it's not, it's a, not a so-called judge. Yeah. he's a uh, real life judge. And and certainly, you can disagree with judges, and uh, I've done so plenty of times in my career. But but you do it in a manner that's respectful, uh, and and you don't you don't engage in that that demeaning of the judiciary, and and that's one of the things that uh, uh, if I were doing geez, our, our other show with 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 Mike, I mean, I think our listeners would be happy to hear I'm not in the bag for Trump anymore on, on that issue. Um, and that's that's what uh, you know, because a Republican, I'm just it just you're pulling your hair out over this. Um, yeah. So. Well, and I uh, think that it's what I you know say a lot about Trump is that he is illustrating how much of our system is just sort of propped up on norms. Mm-hmm. And how much, you know, the norm of releasing your tax returns, the norm of respecting the judiciary, like there's just a lot yeah. of the norm. You don't roll out the gate with 14 executive orders. Like it's just there's a lot right, of just, right. this is what's acceptable and this is what we do. And he just does not care. Like I was reading even even to the stuff about like Michelle Obama desperately wanted to keep her girls in school in Chicago. And people were like, no one will stand for it. And then what yeah. do they roll out the drop? Milani's going to stay at a cost of like a hundred thousand dollars to the t- taxpayers. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and, and, and there's something again. That's look as as a as a conservative. Uh, there's you value tradition. You value sort of those unwritten laws that you're sort of talking about. Um. And there's a big part of I would say conservative philosophy, and I don't know people don't really talk about this because who really talks about conservative philosophy except <laughs> weird pod, weird podcast people. Um, but you know, the, going back to uh, you know Edmund Burke uh, is is a big favorite of, of both Mike and I, and, and a lot of it is you know the the role of of government is small because the role of society is is bigger and in. Uh, governing itself and you have these these sort of traditions and and uh, uh, ways that things are done and, and everyone accepts them and that's what helps society run uh, more and better than than you know a new regulation or something and, and you're right Trump is sort of throwing all of those uh, you know onto the uh, onto the bonfire there um, and there's there's not it's not that you know maybe some traditions don't need to change or can evolve. But, uh, uh, you know, Bill Buckley uh, once said that, uh, you know, in defining conservatism and his view was sort of um, those things that do not have to change. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to screw this up. Uh, Those things that uh, do not have to change uh, have to not change. Mm. I think I said that wrong. He did. He did much better and cooler than I did. But but look, the idea is, yeah, change happens, but it, it shouldn't be just uh, willy nilly and, uh, uh, 
the way we're going. And, and, and you know, I mean, what, what are your thoughts, I guess, is coming from the other side? Uh, I mean, I, I can guess what it is. but <laughs> um, um, Well, and what I was going to ask you, too, I mean, my thoughts are that he You don't want to hear me talk all the time. So. Yeah, that he is, you know, he's completely, um, we've elected our most inexperienced uh, person to the highest office in our history. He does not understand the system. He does not understand, most certainly doesn't understand the norm, and I would argue has a disrespect for our system that he confuses for populism. Um, people's frustration with institutions uh, does not mean that you, um, especially when you didn't win the popular vote, have permission to tear them apart. <laughs> and what I'm interested to ask you as sort of like a traditional Republican is what you see as the, especially as we're coming up against this Supreme Court nomination, you know, Mitch McConnell and the Senate Republicans rejected a norm too by sort of saying, well, you have a year left in office and you don't get to fill the seat that has made this a very contentious um, situation. And I wonder how much you feel like as a Republican sitting back and watching all this, like how much the party is responsible for sort of Donald Trump's rise and um, the populist wave that swept through. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible. And skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies. So we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin. I take a probiotic. And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. 
Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. You know, I would say in, in, in a lot of ways... Um, you know, gosh, the Republican Party did everything it, it could to stop Donald to stop there being a Donald Trump, um, perhaps almost did too much. Uh, you know what I mean? And by the fact that that you had 17 contenders jump in uh, and no one really no one really took him seriously. And, and you know, what, what Mike and I predicted all last year and we were just incredibly dazzlingly wrong was that, look, as the primaries, you know, started going forward, uh, these other, you know, more traditional uh, Republicans would uh, would drop out and, um, uh, you know, support would consolidate behind somebody, you know, whether it be a Jeb Bush, a Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio or someone like that, um, because Trump started out with something like a 70 percent unfavorable rating amongst Republicans uh, in, in the beginning of the primary season. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but that didn't happen. Well, and I so, think, I think, you know, I don't think he took it seriously. There was something he said in the prayer breakfast that struck me. He said that he said something about like, you know, I announced and I was still in the, and I quit the apprentice. That's when I knew it was for real. Yeah. And I haven't looked at the timeline. Would I be interested to know if he officially quit the apprentice after he announced or before? Um, because that, what that said to me is like, I was doing this sort of on a lark and then I realized, oh wait, this could go somewhere. Oh, I, I think I, I have that exact same feeling. But I, I think, mean, you know, not... the, I think the observations that the party, this was a, this is an illustration of strong partisanship, but weak parties because used to, you know, the party leaders would have been like, no, like this is no, we're not doing it. This, this is not, he is not yeah. going to be our nominee. They sort of picked it in this, everybody bust on those smoke filled rooms, but man, this is what happens when you don't have the smoke filled rooms. Oh, you you should, uh, yeah, Mike. I you know I hate to just keep referencing back to our show, but yeah, that's something we had talked about quite a, a while ago. That um, you know the Democrats, uh, for as much as Republicans would criticize them for having the super delegate process, um, man, we were wishing we had it mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, back then. And uh, and yeah, I don't the, have it, and I've defended that on our show. I don't have any. Pro- I don't think that the party process sh- <clears throat> is democratic. And right. I'm not and, even and nor, it nor does be. it. And I would and I would say nor does it have to be. Yeah, that's not. And, what it's and about. that's. Yeah. And a lot of people uh, take offense at that, that you're somehow demeaning people's votes or something or saying they shouldn't be able to vote. But but no, the party has the right to choose its own nominee by its own rules. Yeah. Um, and 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 again, I guess the the legitimacy of that nominee it was going to flow from how democratic and how accepted those rules are. Yeah. Um, but uh I will say, though, that I think the Republican Party, you know, I heard Ezra Klein say this, and I think it's so true. I think that 
you know, Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan and particularly sort of the party elite that was dealing with the Tea Party and the uprising of the Tea Party, they sort of knew, they knew the norms, right? They knew the rules. They knew how far they could say things without being racist. Like they knew like how far we can push this populist surge and say, you know, Barack Obama doesn't, is not fighting for your values or he is not. You know, let that let people like Donald Trump assault hit Barack Obama's citizenship and um, not ever say it themselves. Like they walk this very fine line of like we will use this when it suits us, and then could not control it. You know, like they knew the rules, they played sort of by the rules, and but then in in sort of um, exploiting those forces. They got somebody who don't like Donald Trump, who does not know the rules, who does not care about the rules. And the party, the party base didn't know the rules. The party base didn't know when you said, um, you know, Barack Obama doesn't represent you and he's not or that Hillary Clinton should go to jail. Jason Chavitz, ugh, you're the worst. <laughs> like they don't know that you are just playing politics. They think you're serious and that this criminal is about to be president. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's a good point. Um, uh, I mean, I, I'd argue the same thing happens on the left, though, too. I mean, mm. the. I think a lot of the 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 Trump, uh, you know, the, <clears throat> the the fascism and Trump is Hitler and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, let me let me let me be clear. Uh, Trump is a a grade A jackass. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's there's plenty of plenty of plenty of reasons to oppose him, but but no, he's not Hitler. Um, uh, there's 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 a lot of good reasons from the right and the left to say that uh, he's he's a problem. Well, I think something else that 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 you kind of alluded to was, was not only know, know the norms in campaigning, but, uh, have the sense of, of how governing works. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what we're seeing right now, uh, with, uh, these, these executive orders and, and some executive orders you can just go and sign and that's all you need to do. Um, but the, you know, the immigration order, for example, it was, as, as uh, he might say, a total disaster. Yeah. And, and, and not even, even, you know, this, this is regardless of where you stand on the policy behind it. Uh, it's just a matter of when, when there are this many moving pieces, um, you, need, you need to have people involved. You need to have a plan going forward. You need to coordinate with your... Justice Department, with your uh, Homeland Security Department, with the airlines, with airports, with with all these these different players, uh, and and you can't just do this willy nilly and and not expect this you know kind of chaos. And that's uh, that's what I find frustrating. You know, again, not even just an ideological point, but just you know, look, can can no one here play this game? You know what I mean? Yeah. Sort of. Well, and I think that. The answer is no, they can't. Even Priebus yeah. has never really been on that side of things. Um, Paul Ryan, maybe. But I think that, you know, they, well, I'll say this. I think, first of all, they think they were better campaigners than they were actually were. That's the first thing. Okay. Um, I think they, you know, did some things right and got really, really lucky with regards to the media's abdication of their duties and um, in particular, the FBI and all these things, like sort of, it wasn't one thing, it was all the things. Yeah. But um, they have not learned or refused to learn that campaigning is different than governing. It just doesn't work like that anymore. It's not about firing yeah. up your base and just shining it on while everybody else gets pissed at you. Like, you are the president of everybody, 
And, you know, I read a really good thing this morning that was like, you know, it's, it's, there is a harsh light on you. It is, everything is open to critique and it's all media is not good. All press is not good press when you're president. Yeah. Well, and, and when you're president, uh, you know, and this is, this has become pretty much a cliche, but words matter. And uh, like we talked about earlier, you can't just uh, tweet about a, you know, so-called judge type, you know, you can't, you just can't do that. Uh, and I think it's also, it was one thing when you're campaigning, uh, you know, to pick fights with, you know, with, you know, sort of <laughs> C and D list celebrities like, you know, Rosie O'Donnell or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, but, but the leader of the free world, um, you know, really should be above caring what Rosie O'Donnell thinks. Uh, and, and that sort of thing, or, or, you know, what, uh, what they're doing on Saturday Night Live or, uh, you know, just, um, it, it shows just a lack of, again, I'll use the cliche word, sort of the gravitas, um, that, you know, just, you seem not to be a serious person. Um, and, and you know, the other thing that, that I, I am, you know, constantly torn on, uh, with, with, with Trump is, you know, throughout this, I keep wondering is, you know, how much is, is just an act. And and there was so much speculation throughout the campaign of, Oh, look, this is an act. He's just playing it up. It's, it's sort of a character he plays. And once it's time to get serious, he's going to, you know, pivot to normalcy was sort of the, mm-hmm. the, the phrase. And he didn't really do it in the campaign and he, he hasn't really done it yet here. I mean, every now, every once in a while, you'll, I mean, I say every once in a while, I mean, like in the last two weeks, you know, he'll do something that, that you will say, oh, okay, that seems like a, a not unreasonable thing to do. And then, you know, 10 minutes later, um, you know, he, he, he's again, crazy tweets. And I think, you know, Republicans are, are going to, uh, start to grow tired of this. Um, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, and I think that, you know, I told my dad who is a Trump supporter of this, I'm like, it's not just that he showed that it wasn't going to be this, um, you know, pivot to normalcy, but that you can't, it also forever ended the give him a chance. Like, yeah. no, I'm not because as you, you, if, if you're a Trump based supporter and you like what he's doing, that's fine. But you have to understand for every promise he, he fulfills for you that totally undercuts and leaves, you know, the millions more people who didn't support him out in the cold and totally and forever sort of get sort of this, like I said, give him a chance. He'll be reasonable. Yeah. Even with the executive orders, my dad was like, well, he can't keep up this pace. That doesn't make me feel better. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I thought, you know, he can't keep up this pace last week, but, but yeah, you know, here we are still. Yeah. Um, you know, I, and I don't, I'm not sure if I'm in the give him a chance uh, camp. I'm, I guess I'm, I'm, I would say I'm more of the, uh, you know, what else are we going to do? Um, you know, yeah. he, he is, he is the president. Yeah. Um, I, I would, I would suspect that as, as things start becoming more normal as, as the, you know, the normal legislative, uh, season starts to kind of, you know, take hold, they're getting bills drafted, bills introduced, uh, I would expect that that uh, Ryan and, and uh, McConnell would start to play a bigger role uh, in maybe you know tempering this. We'll uh, see. I mean, but that, but, yeah, but we'll see. Yeah, yeah. They say that you know that's what the rogue. I don't know if you call a rogue POTUS staff, and I have no idea if it's real. I will not claim that it is. But he calls Priebus, Ryan, and Pence the unholy trinity. 
and you have this sort of um, particularly social conservative issues. Like there's all this news now that Ivanka and Jared killed an executive order that was going to um, LG- undo some of the LGBTQ rights. Mm-hmm. Um, but also Ivanka still mad at you. That doesn't make up for anything. P.S. Um, so I, I don't know. I think it'll be interesting. I think that, um, well, let me ask you this. What do you think? As the Trump presidency progresses, what do you think is the impact on the Republican Party? Um, you know, let's let's. I would say, I don't know. I mean, this is a cop out answer, but you know, I don't know. We'll see. Um, my biggest, you know, my big concern last year throughout the primaries was that, you know, Trump would destroy the Republican Party. Uh, that he would, um, you know, we would be forever tied uh, to you know, to that, that character and that, uh, uh, you know, demeanor. Um, and, um, you know, that, that I think is, is a big problem going forward. And I, I mean, I thought, you know, would geez, we'll lose the Senate because of this, because Republicans will be tied to Donald Trump. And in a lot of places they tried those, those, uh, those ads, you know, sort of side by side of the Republican candidate with Trump. And it didn't really seem to take hold in most places. Um, now we'll see if that if that carries over, you know, to the next uh, election cycle. Um, you know, I will uh, I'll go ahead and say that I I actually voted for uh, John Kasich, um, uh, both in the primary and I wrote him in the general. Um, so partially to sort of give myself an out to always say, hey, I I didn't vote for Trump, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, you know, Kasich and and uh, particularly Kasich took a big stand, uh, refused to even meet with, uh, you know, appear at the Republican convention uh, when it was in his own state. And a lot of people criticized him for that. And, and he was sort of unrepentant and in, in not coming, supporting Trump. Um, uh, and he's got a new book coming out next week. Uh, ah. that, that is going to be sort of a, um, you know, uh, you know, his sort of philosophy of here's what the, the party ought to stand <laughs> yeah so i mean there's there's there, there are figures there are figures like that who i think are waiting in the wings right now are, are are certainly out because uh you know trump was was triumphant he's got the you know won the presidency uh, uh won the senate uh you know big big uh big lee house majorities and um you know but if if the thing crashes and burns uh, i think you're going to have these other folks waiting in the wings to to sort of step in um, but, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm concerned that, uh, you know, the, the party is, has gotten this, this ugly strain that, uh, has come from Trump and, um, are you, you an know, Evan McMullen fan? Um, you know, I would say, I don't know a ton about him. Um, I guess I, I like the idea of, of what he's doing. Um, I understand he's, they've got a new group now that, uh, um, and if our listeners don't know, Evan McMullen was the uh, former CIA agent from um, Utah uh, who who ran, I think only he, he only got in the ballot a couple states, I think, um, but has a, a new group that is, you know, for, I guess, constitutional republicanism. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm you know, from on paper, it all sounds good. And again, I don't know enough about him personally to say I'm a fan, but uh um, and nor do I know that he's, he's got enough background, uh, to be like the, the leader of this thing. I mean, I think it's more going to be 
whatever, either a congressional leader like a Paul Ryan or a you know governor out there who who would who would uh, step up if if the Trump thing uh, sort of crashes and burns. Yeah. Um, but uh, but but we'll see. Well, we shall see. That seems to be our uh, that seems to be our theme for this exchange. We shall see. It was so nice yep. talking to you, Jay. Thank well, you so I'm... much for um, participating in our little host swap. Oh, and thank you for for having me on. It's it's an honor to uh, to be on your show, and uh, hope we can do this again sometime. Yeah, and tell our listeners where they can find the the politics guys. Yes, we are uh, the politics guys, and uh, you can get us on iTunes or Stitcher. Uh, we also have a Facebook page, uh, uh, Politics Guys, and you can contact us at, uh, oh, I forget our email address, but it's something, you know, <laughs> at Politics Guys, and you can find it all on the Facebook thing, and you'll you'll link back to that and stuff. Um, but no, thank you so much. This has been fun, and uh, uh, also you want to give the promo that uh, your co-host is going to be yep. uh, on our show uh, coming up, and um, uh, that, uh, so, so your listeners should tune into that. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, thanks so much. Hey, thank you, Sarah. Take care. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye. So thanks again to Jay for doing the interview, and I hope you guys enjoyed the show swap. You can go over to Politics Guy and check out Beth sitting in Jay's seat on their podcast. Thank you so much to Courtney and Scott for supporting Pantsuit Politics. And as always, we have to thank our all-star rock star subscribers, but particularly Melissa, Tracy, Tracy, Ashley, Audrey, Christina, Nicolette, Paige, and Sydney. We'll be back with you on Tuesday for another episode, and until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Thank you to our producer, Nicholas Holland, and to our chief creative officer, Dante Lima, for all the work they do to make Pantsu Politics possible, and to all of you for making this community so special. Remember to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Pantsu Politics, or Instagram at Pantsu Politics. Please leave us your feedback and send us your ideas for show topics and Pantsu Primers on social media, or you can email us at sarah at or beth at pantsupoliticsshow.com.